Hey everyone, welcome to the Five Beer Plan. I'm Brian, and this is the ongoing saga of an everyman's ale trail. In this episode, I'll finish my thoughts on big beer buyouts, talk about the perfect pour, wrap up my conversation with the deep-thinking Aaron Stuff from Harry Stuff Brewing, and review Hop Horizon from Trogues Independent Brewing. In this segment of Tales from the Trail, I'm going to continue my thoughts on craft beer buyouts by Big Beer. What's an everyman to do? As a reminder, the Brewers Association defines an American craft brewer as a small and independent brewer. Small, meaning annual production of 6 million barrels of beer or less. Independent, less than 25% of the craft brewery is owned or controlled by a beverage alcohol industry member, which in itself is not a craft brewer. And brewer, has a TTB brewer's notice and makes beer. When the home and craft brewing revolution started in the late 70s and early 80s here in the United States, there was a youthful up yours toward the big American brewers of the day. Craft brewing was innovative, cutting edge, and creative. It always has been and always will. So how did we get to this crossroad? I read somewhere a great analogy of the current state of the craft beer industry. It is going through a middle-age crisis of identity. I'll be honest, I can't fault longtime regional brewers like Larry Bell of Bell's Brewing or Mike Steven and Dave Egenbers of Founders Brewing for selling their majority stakes in their breweries. After brewing for 30 plus years, who wouldn't want to cash in while they're still healthy and able to enjoy their retirement nest egg? The danger in this is that the bigger distribution typically means fewer one-off or seasonal beers are produced and more of a focus is put on the mainstream core beers. I know it all comes down to making money, but to me, this is just a bit too safe. Where is the out-of-the-box thinking in this? Think about what would happen if supply chains are interrupted, or there was a poor growing season for hops or grain. Theoretically, an InBev, Kirin, or Mahau could come into a region and buy up all the cans, bottles, or ingredients, making it tough for the true small independent brewers. It has happened before, and could happen again. So where does this leave us? Should we get a flight or fight? What used to be a half-and-half half or a black-and-tan kind of discussion now becomes very, very turbid, almost hazy. I think this puts craft beer aficionados into two camps. Independent craft brewery purists or ambivalent craft beer drinkers. I used to stand firmly with one foot on each side, but as of late, I think I lean more towards being a craft beer purist. I'm not trying to tell you one way or another which way you should go. I just want us all to think about how our choices can affect the industry. If we all decided to avoid drinking the products from these big conglomerates, what kind of effect could that have in sending a message that the craft beer drinking community does not want this? I still struggle with this, even though I always make it a point to be sure I'm supporting the local independent craft breweries whenever possible. My challenge for the consumer is this. The next time you reach for a multi-pack of mass-produced big beer, no matter how good it is, no matter how highly rated it is, whether it's craft or not, take a step back and think about what offerings the brewery up the road might have on tap and whether that 20 bucks you drop would be better spent supporting a business in your community. For the independent craft brewer, my challenge to you requires a bit more effort. Keep experimenting and innovating. Keep pushing the envelope of the styles, but remember the history and roots of beer. Keep closely connected to your brewing community and customer base. And most importantly, keep on brewing. This week's hop hack is about the perfect pour. 
I used to look down upon it, but now one of the most beautiful sights in the world is going to your nearest independent craft brewery and having a beer that is perfectly poured with a one to one and a half inch high head. This look can actually give you a bit more aroma and flavor which enhances the enjoyment of a pint. So what's the trick for getting this kind of look at home? Here are some very simple instructions that are pretty universal. The first thing you want to do is tilt your glass to a 45 degree angle. Then align the bottle so it pours the beer at the midpoint of the side of the glass or if using a can make sure it pours directly into the center of the glass. Finally once the glass is half full Tilt the glass to a level position and fill to the top. Voila! The perfect pour! I've found that a beer with no foam tends to taste flat. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, having the right kind of glass can also make a difference in the pour. For anyone that doesn't like the taste or feel of foam, not a problem. Try for a smaller one half inch tall head. It does take a little bit of practice, so do what I do and keep on pouring. Now, it's time for Barstool Banter. For this week's interview, I kick around favorite beer styles with Aaron Stuff, who is the owner and head brewer at Harry Stuff Brewing in Milwaukee, Indiana. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Appreciate you being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks. To me, the, you know, the best style of beer in the world is, is uh, a Lambic uh, gauze, mm-hmm. I think it's pronounced. Yes. I mean, I'm not, um, you know, my French isn't really that strong. <laughs> But uh, uh, to me, just without a doubt, the, the best style in the world. Yeah, I would agree. I love a, I love a good lambic. I really yeah. do. Uh, get those great fruit flavors. Santa Diabla was one of your, your barrel-aged uh-huh, sure. beers. Great fruit flavor, great barrel-aged kind of profile to it. Uh, it's, it's that kind of beer that I, I really enjoy myself sure. because it's super complex. Yeah, because, I mean, not you know, not only does the fermentation impart something, I mean, the barrel itself is imparting. I mean, when I do it in stainless steel, stainless steel isn't imparting anything. Right. Nor right. would I ever want it to. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's just there. I mean, the age also. I mean, a lot, you know, some of these barrel-aged beers, you know, we're aging for two, three years. And a lot happens in two or yes. three years. Uh, yeah. versus, you know, a quick fermentation stainless steel that's, you know, a couple weeks. And I don't think people realize either that, that it does take more than just a, a few weeks to brew up a good barrel-aged beer, you know, you, like you said, two, three years. So. And, I mean, you know, and, I mean, I mean, the difficulty also, and this is no fault of the consumer, but it's, it's also a little bit more difficult for the consumer to understand and maybe sometimes to realize the subtleties there. Uh, and it's just, for the most part, they just, they haven't experienced it. Um, yes. You know, they might not know what they're detecting. And um, I often think, you know, the first time I ever had a beer, I thought it was terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, it was probably some red dog, you know, when I was 16 years old. But I didn't really like to understand why people liked beer or anything. But I mean, as I matured and I got older, I tried different things. I uh, allowed my palate to grow. Yes. Not that our palates are always going to grow to enjoy beer. Maybe you'll always dislike them. But there's a lot of people that will never even give it a chance because yeah. it is... It is. It's. It's out. I always refer to them as a NASCAR beer. So if you like the NASCAR beers, that's fine. The, the big domestics. You know, I think people are more comfortable with that because they're light. They're simple. Yeah. You don't get a whole lot with them. Um, and then you know, if you move to the craft, you know, I think you see a lot of people that are really big on the hazy, hoppy IPAs, the juicy stuff. You know, they're comfortable with that. But you know, you see a like a like you said a, a lambic. You see uh, a saison. You see a, a, a you know Berliner or a sour IPA. You're like, I don't know if I want to try. That or not. Yep. 
And I'll tell you what, those are some amazing styles. They really are. Yep. Creative, super creative. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one that really would work better in a wine setting because I've, I've always, you know, from my wine experiences, you know, I feel that they do a lot better job at descriptors. And not only that, but when you go to a winery and you do the taste scenes, you know, I think they they do a little bit better job, mm-hmm. you know, with, with going through each wine. Whereas at a brewery, I feel we, at least in my setting, I don't really a lot of times have time to go through each beer because we also have the food aspect. Right. And I think breweries tend to have more food than what wineries do. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong there. Yeah, no, I think you're but, right about that. And I think that, you know, I think that plays a part. You know, you think about like a stricter like sour beers. I've always felt that doesn't really do justice to those type of beers. Because one that's barrel aged, has gone through mixed fermentation, there's so much more going on there. And unfortunately, then you take one that was a Kittle sour, I get it, you know, it's... You know, you're a business, you you know, you want to make something sour. There's no complexity. And so it's hard when you have a consumer come in and they're like, well, why am I paying, you know, a couple more dollars a pint for your sour versus that kettle sour? Well, it's because the kettle sour took, you know, a few days to make. Right. Mine took years and it's <laughs> far more yeah. complex. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe the best... The best comparison would be to coffee. I guess to most people, I don't know, maybe most people won't get this comparison, but for me, let's say, you know, you bring me a cup of coffee and it's Nescafe. To me, it's, you know, I'll drink it just because, you know, I want something hot to drink. But let's say you bring me this nice, you know, single origin, got roasted, you know, a local roastery that did a great job with it. There's a massive difference. Indeed, indeed. I mean, for the average coffee drink, you know, all they're going to maybe say is, I just get bitterness. And, you know, that, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. that's, I guess, the difficult for me is explaining taste and aromas. It's a difficult process. It, it, it is. It really is. Um, because, because you have so many, you know, with, with, any, with any kind of food or drink you have, there's so many subtleties depending on, on, on what it is. Um, you know, like, like I said, uh, you've got some great... You know, barrel aged beers, you know, a lot of great fruit notes that, that are through it. But that that's one thing uh, uh, personally <coughs> that uh, that I really try hard to to mine out of a beer is to kind of check the aroma. What is it? What kind of notes am I getting in the aroma? What does it look like? You know, is it hazy? Is it clear? What are the first sips taste like? You know, how does it finish? It, it, it's fun. It's almost a game <laughs> for me, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think as a home brewer, it was probably easier to make those beers because you know you don't have to sell them. But as a professional brewery, they can be a little frustrating mm-hmm. because I mean, if you don't put a fruit in there, it's it's a lot more difficult. And it's it's just about understanding. You know, if you've never had an IPA, maybe you'll never understand it. But now. If you put IPA on anything, it's going to sell. Um, I remember the first time I had an IPA, I thought it was terrible. I'd never had one before. I was mainly a stout drinker. It was awful. But now, sure. you know, I love a good IPA. Yep, I really absolutely. Do. I really and, do. you know, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a frustrating thing to do. Yeah. Beers. yeah. It, when, they, when they turn out well, there's nothing better in the world. But having patience 
to, to wait on it for years and then, you know, to, to then try to sell it can be a very frustrating yeah. mess. I mean, it, it, you know, going forward, I mean, it's something we're obviously going to keep doing, but I do realize that obviously probably 99% of them are always going to be fruit beers because it's easier to say to somebody, well, this is a raspberry sour than it is to explain the whole lambic process right, and, uh, right, right. spontaneous fermentation or whatever it may be mm -hmm. it's a lot more easy just to say here's your raspberry fruit beer so would you then say that your favorite style of beer then personally is the barrel age style i have favorite styles but not like one that, okay yeah i mean you know for me i i consider you know that, that's what we make here. You know, we, we make IPAs, mm -hmm. lagers, barrel-aged beers. Yeah. Those are my, my three the favorite three kind spots, of um, areas or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them. Do, I mean, do you have a favorite? At the moment, it's going to be probably more the, the sour-fruited beers uh -huh. just because it's a style that I think uh, is really expanding. Um, I'll often try to order a couple of the, the, the lighter beers, the fruiter, beer, fruiter mm -hmm. beers, so, you know, be the fruited sours, just because I don't want to kill my palate right away. Yeah. I want to be able to taste something for a little bit. I mean, so. I guess, you know, if you put me in like a premier craft beer bar and I'm looking through the menu, I mean, I'm definitely going to check out to see if there's a, a gauze. Yeah, yeah. And if there is, I'm without a doubt that's going to be the first thing I'm going to order. I mean, one that is done by a traditional Lambrick producer. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. well, then again, you know, with Allagash or a Hill Farmstead <laughs> or a Jester King's on there, I'm yeah. going to order theirs. Yeah. Um, not they, you know they don't call they're not going to call theirs a, a gauze you know right. that's that's a regional only for Belgian breweries yes yes um, yes I do think that is the most beautiful drink slash style of beer in the world mm -hmm. um, it's something I would love to produce here I I guess I am intimidated to do it because I don't want to invest all that time and energy into something that people just won't understand. I mean, because right. it is a, th a minimum three-year process. You, you know, you, I, are you familiar with it? Mm -hmm. yeah. Indeed. I mean, yeah. I don't know if your viewers are. Have you they, talked to them about I, it? I have not yet. Go ahead and explain a little yeah. bit more, Aaron. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a style that requires three years because you're blending, you know. So, first off, it's spontaneous fermentation. So, you know, you, you, you don't have any control over that. Right. So you're going to, um, you're going to, you know, brew a batch of beer. You're going to allow, you're, gonna, you're not going to cool it through a heat exchange or anything like that. You're going to put it into a, um, oh, what's, what's the term I'm looking for here? Yeah, the, uh, uh, the open tank. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> I want to say it's an arc. The, the cool right. ship. Yeah, the cool ship. So yeah. you're going to put it in a cool ship, which is basically like a large rectangular um, stainless steel um, tank. And it's going to set in there overnight. And it's going to um, collect, you know, just the various wild microbe in the air. Mm -hmm. And then the next day you're going to, you know, take that word, put it into various barrels. And out of all those various barrels, over time, you're going to start dumping them. And you might be left with, you know, maybe 50, 25 percent. I mean, who knows? And that's just year one. And you're going to be doing year, you got year two, you got year three. And then a year three, finally, you can make a gauze. And that's when you're going to be blending barrels from year one, two, and three. And year three, obviously, being the most complex. 
Um, year two is kind of somewhere in between, and then year one will help you with, you know, it will still have the fresh yeast mm -hmm. to allow you to finish finish off and combine the three. It, I mean, it's 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 an art, without a doubt. Those are the most artistic people in the whole brewing industry. And that's, I mean, I would love to do that. There's, I mean, there's a few breweries in the U.S. doing it, and um, those are the, those are the places that I personally, as a beer geek, would be most willing to go to my way to, to visit. So, what about uh, your least favorite style of beer? And it can just be like at the moment. I mean, because again, yeah, taste sir. change, right? Um, least favorite, definitely the these kind of pastry beers okay um, not necessarily just more so the things that I would say a, a couple of things one thing here we just use natural ingredients um, that's just something I like to do when I go out to a store and I try to buy something I try to find something that has the least amount of artificial uh, flavors so am I going to use a snicker bar in my beers no um, because, I mean, it's chock full of artificial. Do I understand why a consumer is drawn towards it? Sure. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't want to make somebody upset. Yeah. Because, I, you know, that might be their favorite beer. That, that Everybody's Snicker got their niche, stout. yeah. It's, <coughs> it's, it's not for me using mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. um, and the beers with lactose, I'm not, I'm also not really into. Sure. I get it. I got a bunch of friends. They really enjoy it. It's just... You know, beer, I, I just, it's, the, the, that's my least kind of beer. Okay. I'm just, I'm not really into that, like, overly sweet kind of beers like that. I, th I think beer should be drinkable. You know, I don't want, like, just five ounces. I want something you can have a pint of. And I don't know how many pints you can have of a milkshake IPA. <laughs> that, that's the cool thing about beer, is there, um, there's something for everybody. I mean, yeah. maybe that... That brewer that's making that milkshake IPA, maybe they get somebody into the world that finds out, yeah, maybe that's not their favorite. Maybe they go on and they that inter, that's their gateway to go to Sierra Nevada Indeed. or whatever. So yeah, it's um, I mean that's that's why there is nine thousand breweries. There's enough room for all those type of styles. Yep, and that's what I love about the industry. There's something for everyone, really. Yeah. There really is. And the other thing I like about the industry is that at least the, the craft brewers that I'm familiar with and have relationship with, they all collaborate really well with others in the industry that are near them. You know, we're not competing with you. We're not trying to put you out. Of, we want to work together. We want to see how we can succeed in this area of food industry and move forward. So, I mean, you know, I've got stories of people during COVID when it first kicked in that um, they didn't have a canning machine. Well, one of their brewers up the road lent them a canning machine so they could at least have curbside you know, pickup. Mm -hmm. Or you know, maybe you run out of cans and somebody provides you with cans because there was a shortage at one point. You know, so I love how the, the industry as a whole, I think really, especially the, the smaller independent guys like, like you, are, are out there to help each other. That there's, there is competition, but it's, but it's a healthy competition. Oh yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I, I definitely see a lot of that. I do worry about what the future of that will be, um, which is another reason it is important. It is important who buys which brewers. Yeah. I mean, you know, this this often thing I hear from people is, I don't care who's making the beer. You know, I don't care that InBev bought this or that brewery. Well, we might care when your supply chains get cut off, yeah. um, as in the case of uh, 
the Miller incident where they bought up the hop fields and so the local South African breweries couldn't buy hops from their own country anymore. Right. So it's something to be cognizant of, um, you know, going forward. I, 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 you know, I know that some of the older breweries that I've respected, some of them have mentioned that, you know, the brewery industry has changed, but there are still a lot of those type of stories. Yeah. I mean, even a brewery like Samuel Adams, uh, they, you know, historically have always tried to help smaller breweries. Indeed, yep. Um, when there was a hop shortage back there 10 years ago, they were selling other breweries hops, not making money. They're selling them at the same prices. Mm -hmm. They provide, they've provided breweries not loans, they provide them grants. Yes. Grants are, the difference it's is, huge. they're yeah. not trying to make money off you, they're giving you money. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there are instances where, you know, those things definitely are important. Um, you know, like the scary thing is when you have somebody like the Brewers Association that has worked for smaller breweries historically, and then they allow a company, then when Canarchy was bought, they still consider Canarchy to be a, a large independent brewery. Right. Well, yeah. but that company is owned by Monster, and Monster is 20% owned by Coca-Cola. So let's say Coca-Cola decides, hey, let's buy up all the cans, or whatever it may be, and let's say the smaller breweries can't get those, or it drives up the price on them. Yeah. You know, that's why it's important. Yeah. It's important who owns these breweries. It's, um, but no, I mean, I'm not trying... You know, I'm just trying to point something out because I, I think we should also talk about, you know, collaboration yeah. and, uh, yeah. and uh, those aspects. Because, I mean, definitely during COVID, there, I mean, a lot of people are helping each other out. Absolutely. Like I was talking about our customers, friggin' awesome. All, one of the biggest, best stories of 2020. Yeah, yeah. And I know I made, I mean, I made a point also myself of trying to support the our local restaurants, our local you know, grocery store. I mean, I, we try same thing to support because those are the things that keep your, your little towns and villages alive. Absolutely. I mean, if yep. you don't have those, you've got nothing. Yeah. Who wants to move to a place that's just full of Taco Bells and Walmarts? I'm, I, mean, right. I mean, hopefully you got an ocean or something, you know? Yeah. You know, let's say, you know, I, you know, I would much rather, move, me personally, um, you know, if I'd pick, you know, between whether you get to pick a thriving small town that uh, has fantastic restaurants and art scene, or you can pick a place that just has McDonald's, Taco Bells, Walmarts, and a great, you know, location, which one are you going to pick? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, it's nice to have a mountain or a sea, but in your day-to-day -day basis, I would much yeah. rather have those local restaurants, that thriving art scene. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, another importance to why it's so important to support these smaller places. I mean, you know, if a company like InBev could have its way, I mean, it, it obviously would never want any of these small breweries to exist. No. I mean, it's... it's and, and, that's, and that's the whole reason that they're going after some of these larger independent brewers in the first place, because they want a piece of the pie, plain and simple. Yes, yeah. Well, they, they also, they, they want... They want more distribution. They want more control. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I get it. It's capitalism, but monopoly is not capitalism. Mm -hmm. Monopoly is different, and um, that's what people need to be cognizant of. I mean, granted, you know, I'll be honest. If InBev came here tomorrow and offered me a few million dollars, would I sell? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
So I get it. I'm not. I, I can't fault anyone yep. for that, really. Not, I mean, yep. look at uh, you know founders. I can't fault the guys for selling. They've been yep. ruined for thirty plus years. Sure. They're one ready to retire. Yep. I, I get that. I, I understand why Larry Bell sold. I mean, the guy right. had uh, cancer three times. Yeah. Go and live your life. Do awesome things. But does it mean I need to buy Bell's beers anymore? No. I'm sorry. I'm not going to. You know, it'd be like, well, they still make great beers. Well, right now they do. We'll see what they do. Yeah. But on top of it, there's so many other breweries that make great beers too. Yeah. Why not support those? You know, and I mean, granted, I, I will say this, you know, just because somebody's local, they might not be a good person. So I, you know, should you go and support that local place just because it's local? Not necessarily either. That's what you're going to have to find out. Exactly. If you, you, if you want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe most people don't want to overthink their what they're where they're where they're spending their dollars. Yeah. And that's fine too. You know, that's you know. Yeah. That's all part of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, again, getting behind the. Uh, you know the, the curtain here and, and seeing the operation and knowing you know your passion if you don't if you don't treat your employees well if you don't if you don't have quality of food if you don't have you know the, the high standard of beer I mean why would you want to come to a place to support somebody like that I mean my, my money's gonna go to something that's sure. going to be um, something that's not substandard yeah I agree I mean I would rather uh, spend it in a quality um, place yeah um, you know some of those in-depth facilities are ran from a quality standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can't argue there. I mean, it's hard to argue with somebody that says, well, you know, InBev Brewers are union, they make a good amount of money, and that is true. Uh, my problem is, is, there more, is the monopoly, the way that they, uh, they use um, extremely low interest rates from the Federal Reserve to buy up and raise the prices on all of us smaller people. I would like e I would like equal access to that sure. type of uh, almost zero percent interest. Rate. Yeah, and, and you don't think about that. I mean, that's again. I think that's a good a good point you're making and something that uh, yeah, I hope people that listen are, are you know think about those yeah, those sure. choices I they mean, make. We could all pay our employees more too if we yeah. had the access to those uh, artificially low interest yeah. rates that a company like InBev has access to. Yeah. That's where it's, once again, anti-capitalistic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you come in being the, uh, the owner slash brewer. Uh, you've got that inside uh, inside insight into to what's going on you, and you have to. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, but at the, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, people are, it's, it's what, what you want to make a decision. Yeah. You know? I just, I think, you know, I think, we, you know, if we were to ever change anything uh, in your life, I mean, that, you know, where you spend your money is, is going to make the biggest impact. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. One, one last fun thing maybe before we wrap up. Um, if, if, you were, if you were a beer, what style would you be? You know, I, I, I don't know. And that's yeah. fine. That's yeah. fine. I mean, um, you know, I, I I saw that question. And honestly, I, I I think often of a Walt Whitman quote, and that's it's part of one of his poems. It's, you know, Do I contradict myself very well? I contradict myself. I'm large. I contain multitudes, and I, I just always like that because you know it's just it's, it's all about in life. We are just full of just unlimited capacities. You know, am I going to change my opinions? Absolutely. Am I 
you know, I'm, I'm going to gravitate to something new or find something unexplored inside of myself as I move through life. Sure, if we're willing to. Yeah. And so I guess if we, you know, limit ourselves to I am a male or I am a beer or whatever, I, I feel it's a limitation. Okay. Yeah. All right. I respect yeah, that, I mean, man. And I, I think that. that's where I have the most respect for, you know, like homebrewers get shit on all the time. Like, oh, man, look at the crap they produce. Like, it's like a joke. But to me, they are the most innovative force that came around and transformed yeah. craft brewers. Because as a brewery owner, I sometimes I sometimes have to limit myself to that stuff. Yeah. You know? But I feel like they can encompass that, that Walt Whitman type of spirit, you know, where they... They've unleashed, you know, so many different styles, or because of that. you know the revitalization of, you know, spontaneous fermentation in the U.S. I mean, yes. you know, they're they're a part of that movement. I mean, along with people like Allagash and Benny Taruzzo from Russian River, uh, you know, the reason we have uh, hazy IPAs, I would probably say that probably, you know, was also, you know, because of a lot of home brewers, you yeah. know. I mean, you know, granted, you know, there's people like John Kimlet from the, the you know, the alchemists mm -hmm. that were, you know, on the forefront of that. But these home brewers wanting to clone these beers into just flood the internet and the forums, that, that's a driving force, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's great answer, great insight. Uh, again, I think that's, uh, everybody's different and I, and I love, you know, I love that perspective. I really do. So... Um, so, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your, your busy schedule to uh, to chat, chat about beer, and your yeah, experience sure. as a brewer owner. Uh, if you ever get out to uh, Wabasa, Indiana, definitely check out Harry Stuff Brewing, and uh, appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot for uh, having me on the show. Last call! It's nearly time to wrap things up, but first, one more for the road. This episode, I'm drinking Hot Horizon IPA from Trogues Independent Brewing in Hershey, PA. It is one of their new spring releases. I've been a fan of their beers ever since I first tasted Nugget Nectar and Nimble Giant. The can says this, Ever smelled a hop field in full bloom? Hop Horizon is your shortcut to where the sky meets the vines. A blend of pale malts, wheat, and oats lay down a base of gentle grain. Then a combination of citra, mosaic, and sabro hops unleashes juicy waves of sweet citrus and bubblegum with a punch of tropical fruit. Well, without further delay... Well, the can uh, says to serve this in a tumbler. I get a, a nice, clean-looking beer that has a, a generous head. The initial aromas that I'm getting out of this to begin with are certainly tropical. I would agree with uh, some of the, the can suggestions that there are juicy, sweet citrus. So the color of this beer, it's, uh, it's very clean, as I mentioned. It's probably somewhere between a pale gold and maybe a deep gold color. Waves and waves of fresh, juicy hop notes on the nose. First taste, definitely getting a little bit of that uh, sweetness to it. It's got a lot of um, soft feeling on the mouth. That's definitely coming from probably some of the oats that they have in the grain bill. A little bit of grassiness. The mosaic is, uh, is a great hop for tropical notes. And, of course, citra is one of those standards that you have for, um, for IPAs uh, just because it has that great citrus profile. It's not, uh, it's not super bitter. It's actually pretty smooth. 
It's not my my favorite from Trogues, as I mentioned. Uh, there there's some others that I really like uh, a lot more. But for a day to day beer, uh, this is one that I I could see myself keeping stocked in the fridge because I think it would go with a, a lot of great food. I think that it's something you could share with um, your friends that come over, be enjoyable at six and a half percent. It's not really going to to lay you out. It's got great tropical notes on the nose. Again, a little bit of citrus on the uh, on the palate. So I'd give it three tasters out of five on the flight paddle. Cheers, Trogues. If you've got a beer you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment below. If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. That's all for this episode of the 5 Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, thanks for choosing to listen to mine. Join me next time when I'll talk labels and can art, share another hop hack, and riff with self-professed metalhead Mark Osborne from Adroit Theory Brewing. Remember to hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram, 5beerplan2022, and leave a comment to let me know whether you are an independent craft brewery purist or an ambivalent craft beer drinker and why. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail, and stay thirsty, my friends.